Are you wandering in the wilderness? Or are you a voice in the wilderness? Welcome to the Revival Cry podcast. This is your host, Eric Miller. Isaiah 40 verse 3 says, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The goal of this podcast is to encourage you to use the voice God has given you to make Jesus famous. Every week, we will share principles from the Word of God, interviews, and encouragement in order to strengthen your voice. Thank you for joining me today. And now here is today's podcast. How many of you have ever heard of a drink offering? In the Bible, we've heard of the different offerings given during the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. Well, the first recordance of a drink offering was given by Jacob in Genesis 35, verse 14, right after God changed his name to Israel. Drink offerings were included with burnt offerings and other God-ordained sacrifices, Another time we see about uh, drink offerings is, is when Jesus poured out a drink offering on the cross. You remember when Jesus took communion, the last supper with his disciples before he was to be beaten and tortured and crucified on the cross? He said, this is the covenant of my blood, which is being poured out for you. Even on the cross, when Jesus was dying, the scripture said in the book of Psalms that his legs would not be broken. And when people were crucified, the Romans crucified thousands and thousands and thousands of people. It was the most brutal, one of the most brutal times in the history of the world. But if somebody was dying on the cross and they didn't die yet, they would break their legs so that they would suffocate. Still hanging, nails to their feet and their hand. Scripture said that Jesus' legs would not be broken. So they didn't know if he died or not. So that's why the Roman centurion stabbed him in the side with a spear, and it said that blood and water flowed. Jesus' blood, as soon as the first drop of his blood hit the ground and splashed upon the soil of this earth, it says that an earthquake and a storm began to take place, and the veil was torn in two, and now man had access to the blood of Jesus to the heart of the Father again. That's the second occurrence. Another time is when Paul took the metaphor a little bit further, talking about a drink offering. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, he said, yes, and if I am being poured out as a drink offering, on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. Second Timothy 4.6, I am being poured out as a drink offering 
and the time of my departure is at hand. In other words, when Jesus changes your heart, you and I should be willing to become a drink offering in the hand of God to the lost. See, it's the thirsty that we're looking for. And, and what are you saying, Eric? I'm saying we pour out our lives sacrificially. We're not trying to earn our salvation. That's not what we're talking about. We believe by faith alone that's how we're born again. Amen? But good works is the evidence of real faith. So some of our brothers, they believe faith and works is what save you. We don't believe that. There's nothing that you and I can do to add to what Jesus did on the cross. Amen. That's why Kibaloi isn't who he says he is. He thinks that he can add more value because what Jesus did is not enough. I will tell you publicly that Kibaloi is a liar. And he is massively deceived and deceiving millions of people. See, friend, if revival's in our heart, we're not going to be afraid of liars. If he were to repent, which I don't know how far from God he is, that would be amazing. But I'm not sure if that can happen right now. There's certain levels of pride that if we reach, we become in danger of being so far from God that it's so hard for us to hear conviction anymore. But here's the deal. When you and I recognize that Jesus saves us, Jesus cleans us up, Jesus renews our mind, Jesus heals our marriages, Jesus provides for us, Jesus teaches us how to walk by faith and not by sight, Jesus teaches us how to hear his voice because we become his sheep, no longer anymore do we have to try to do what he already did for us. But now we want to do what he did as an example for how we are to live our life. So I don't care if as a pastor or a leader you have lots of money, as long as the money doesn't have you. Amen. But if we think that godliness is about what kind of car we drive, or if I have my private jet. If we think that's what a real man of God, that's the abundant life Jesus talked about, we don't have any clue what that means. You see, abundant life to the early disciples meant that I don't want to be crucified the same way as my Lord. Why don't you turn me upside down? That's what abundant life looked like to the disciples. That's what Peter did. Abundant life to Paul was, go ahead and behead me and bury my head separate from my body. 
Abundant life to some of the disciples meant that they were speared to death. All of the disciples were martyred except for John. And not in the Bible, but historical records tell us that they tried to kill John. They tried to boil him in oil, but he would not die. And so they sent him to the island of Patmos, where he wrote the book of Revelation. I want to tell you, friend, if you're willing to pour out your life as a drink offering to this world the way that Jesus poured out his life for you and me, God knows what to do with you. God knows how to use you. But you have to stop and say that you are the potter, I am the clay. Do in me, do with me, mold me however you want to. It's not about me anymore, it's about you. That's revival. How does somebody come to the end of themselves and then say, pour out my life so that others can taste and see that the Lord is good? Friend, that's the kingdom of heaven. That's where transformation takes place in your life so much that you're not living for yourself. In an article called The Theology of the Drink Offering by Peter Lightheart, he said this, though often understood as a reference to his impending death, it is more likely that Paul understood the struggles and the toils of his apostolic ministry as a libation, which is a drink poured out as an offering to a deity, a, a god of some sort, upon the sacrificial service of the churches which he's ministered to. So Paul was saying, I am pouring out my life for you because I desire for you to know Jesus, not just to know about him. Not to just be in awe of me as an apostle. Not just to be in awe of my testimony on the road to Damascus when I got knocked to the ground and a voice spoke to me and said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? That was a spectacular transformation. But Saul was not just caught up in himself. He only shared his testimony to make sure that as I pour my life out to you, you will do the same for Jesus. You know, sacrificing yourself for the salvation of others does not mean that you and I have to do what Jesus already did for us. It means that we, as because Jesus sacrificed for us, we now desire to follow his example by laying our life down for others to know him. I believe one of the greatest struggles for those in ministry, and there's a lot of you here today that are in ministry, is learning how to not be offended by God or other people when your sacrifice in the ministry goes unnoticed. What if you're sacrificing and you don't have all the money? 
Or you have people in your church that you know could give and help, but they don't do anything. Do you complain? Do you tell them that they're not obeying God? Or do you continue to live the secret life before the Lord? You live the secret life. But you don't understand my needs. No, I probably don't. But he does. And it's according to your faith, to my faith, to your faith, what we will see God do in our life. If God doesn't meet all of our needs right away, it's not because he doesn't want to meet them. It might be because he's trying to stretch you and me to stop only thinking about our needs to be met and so we can believe for others next to us for their needs to be met. Amen. I think we're forgetting some scripture today. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his own cross, and come follow me. Christianity is a very bloody, sacrificial, and painful way of living. It can also be amazing. And here's the good news, that we only have this life to live, which James tells us is like a vapor. It comes and goes. 70, 80 years we might live, and it's over with. But then for eternity... How we live for Jesus now, we will never be hungry again. We will never lack anything ever again. Even now in Christ, we should not lack anything. The only reason we feel like we lack something is two things. One is we think God should do something for us that maybe God doesn't want to do for us in the moment. Or... We're not living by faith. We're living by sight. And we say, God, why don't you love me? Why don't you do this for me? Friend, God does love you. Your motivation to obey Jesus is not what's going to happen to you when you die. Your motivation to obey Jesus is what he did for you 2,000 years ago. What Jesus did on the cross, if that does not give you revelation, then you will never serve God in difficult situations. And you will always expect him to do something for you without you having to do anything for him. That's not Christianity. If you want to follow Jesus, he said, surrender. Leave everything. Trust me. He knows what he's doing. The primary way God reveals himself to the lost is by seeing the evidence of transformed lives. So if you and I are not changed, how are the lost ever going to find Jesus? Sure, Brother Richard was telling us that we have Muslims that are having dreams and visions. God can reveal himself to anybody. But what's the purpose of the Great Commission? The purpose of the Great Commission is to tell the world that Jesus came in the flesh. He died. He rose again. You could be forgiven of your sin. And Jesus is coming back again. 
And you have to be ready. If we're not telling people that, if we're not being salt, if we're not being light in the world, then friend, we are keeping people from understanding such a great salvation we have in Jesus Christ. There's no greater evidence of a transformed life than when somebody sacrifices to know, for others to know who Jesus is. What is sacrifices? It's living secretly before God. It's obeying. It's not telling everybody what you're doing all the time. It's not telling what your left hand is doing from your right hand. It's not telling everybody how much money you gave or, or how much time you prayed and things. I'm not saying you can't tell people those things. I'm simply trying to communicate that if we do what we do as unto the Lord, then there will be more people who will look at our transformed lives as God blesses us, as God lifts us up, as God opens doors to where they see divine intervention. I want divine intervention in my life. I don't want to sow of the flesh and reap of the flesh. I want to sow of the spirit and reap of the spirit. Amen? How many of you like the book of Jonah? Jonah's one of my favorite books in the Bible. Let me give you a little background on Jonah. It's a very short book. You can read all four chapters less than probably 20 minutes. But in Jonah chapters 1 through 3, we read that God called Jonah to preach repentance to the city of Nineveh. And he disobeyed God's calling upon his life. And he runs to go to the, another city called Tarshish. And he gets on a ship and he goes to the bottom of the ship while everybody else is upstairs and having a good time. And then a storm comes. And during that storm, they're worried about the other people on the ship are worried if they're going to survive or not. And then Jonah feels guilty because he knows that this storm is taking place because of his disobedience. Boy, that's a powerful thought right there. Imagine if God would connect my disobedience or my obedience to the success of other people around me or to their demise. You see, when the church lives in sin, what does that do? It hurts our witness. And it causes people to say that I don't believe in the God of the Bible. Because look at that pastor right there. Look at that leader. They're addicted to sin. They're not living what they preach. Jonah was convicted. He was a hypocrite. And he's there and the ship is rattling and they're afraid they're going to die. And he comes upstairs and he says, guys, it's because of me. And they say, what should we do? And he said, the only answer is to throw me overboard. 
Wow. Do you know that Jonah could have obeyed God and went to Nineveh and preached and he would not have gone through all this struggle? Hello. Instead, he wanted to take the long route or let's say the wilderness route. You remember Israel when they left Egypt? It was supposed to take them less than two weeks to go from Egypt to the promised land. But because they disobeyed God, because they wanted to do things their way, and they complained, they wandered in the wilderness for how long? Forty years. Forty years. I'm 49. Could you imagine knowing that it only took you two weeks if you obeyed God, but instead it's taken you 40 years, and those who were in the wilderness were not allowed to go to the promised land. It was only those kids who were born in the wilderness that entered into the promised land. Jonah is thrown overboard, and then what happens? The mercy of God sends a big tuna fish. The Bible doesn't say tuna, but we're in General Santos. <laughs> sends a big fish. You know, I don't like it when my dog licks me. I don't like dog saliva. It's gross. Maybe some of you dog, I see people, they kiss their dog, and the dog's licking their face, and I'm like, it's gross, I'm sorry. I love my dog, but I've seen him do other things with his mouth that I don't want to be near him, okay? Jonah is swallowed by a fish. It says he had seaweed wrapped around his head. Friends, that's gross. Again, he didn't have to do that. One time when we first moved here to the Philippines, I was praying for revival, fervently praying. And I heard the Lord stop my prayer, and he said, do you want revival in mercy or in judgment? I said, mercy. <laughs> we we got to remember this. God's not willing that any should perish. That means he wants revival more than we do. Okay? He understands the lostness of people better than we do. But here's the problem, is that when we do not become a house of prayer, when we do not evangelize the lost, when we do not give our lives for the gospel, we make it difficult for people to come to Jesus. We do. And I'm not even talking about the sin that we have in the church. But it's all the more reason that when you and I 
come face to face with our disobedience and we say, God, I want to get things right with you. It's awesome that you want to get right with God. But God not only wants you to get right with him, he wants you to serve him. He wants you to have pity on the perishing. He wants you to think about William Booth's vision and understand that there is a lostness of people that will never be changed unless we preach the truth. In that fish, Jonah learns how to value prayer. Sometimes your prayer life doesn't really develop until you're under pressure. But I would promise you that if you'll make time for Jesus, I'm not saying it's always going to be easier, but maybe there'll be some things that you won't have to go through. (laughs) But in his mercy, God knows how to get you to where you want to go. So if you ever pray a prayer like this, God, I want you to use me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Change my life. Win my family. He's going, okay, okay, okay. So how can I get Pastor Armin to that place? How can I get Crystal to that place? Well, let's see if they respond to my mercy. Let's see if they respond to pursuing me. Let's see if they seek me while I may be found and call upon my name while I'm near. Let's see if they ask and seek and knock. Let's see if they really will not need me to use other means to help them to fulfill the destiny that they're crying out for. (laughs) Jonah gets spit out of the whale. And he goes on shore. I hope he changed his clothes. And he goes to Nineveh. And he preaches. And when he preaches, revival comes. Let me ask you a question. And I want you to think about this. Who wants revival? Okay. God held back judgment from Nineveh because of Jonah's sacrifice. Jonah becomes offended with God because of his mercy towards the Gentile people. But in Jonah chapter 4, or I'll read the end of chapter 3, verse 10, it said, Then God saw the works of the Ninevites, that they turned away from their evil, and God relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. He did not do it. Repentance is powerful. All Jonah needed to do was go preach repentance. Here's the issue. Jonah was a Jew that thought that God hated the Gentiles. The Ninevites were Gentiles. So even though God used Jonah to preach repentance and the people repented and God relented from judging them and destroying them, 
And Jonah is angry. Look at this. What are you talking about today, Eric? I'm going to go back to something I said earlier. Some of you in the ministry are offended with God and you're offended with other people because you don't think people appreciate the sacrifices that you make. And when you stop spending time in the secret place, you start coming up with reasons of why God is not blessing you. And those reasons are not from the Spirit of God. Those reasons are from your own flesh. And until you come to the end of yourself, it's going to be hard for you to walk by faith and not by sight. Jonah, in verse 1, chapter 4, it says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and said, Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I, this is why I went to Tarshish, right? For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness, one who relents from doing harm. I don't understand this. I think I do to some degree. But, but here's the issue. Is that Jonah is saying, why do you have mercy on these Gentiles? I don't like them. Or let's put it today. Why do you have mercy on these Muslims? I don't like them. Why, don't, why, don't, why do you have mercy on these rich people? I don't like them. Why do you have mercy on these politicians? I don't like them. Wow. It's a little quiet in here. Therefore now, Lord... Take my life from me. Jonah was a drama king. We hear of drama queens, but he was a drama king. You can have both. Take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He doesn't care about these people. He cares about Jonah. And God, even though he used Jonah, was trying to still change Jonah's heart. You know, you could be in the ministry, and God use you, and God still have little areas of your life that he's trying to touch on and change. Why? Because he's a loving father. And he's not interested in what you just do for him. He's interested in who you are. Then the Lord said, is it right for you to be angry, Jonah? Verse 5, so Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side of the city. There he made himself a shelter. I could just see Jonah just, you know, pouting, right? Going to the east side of the city, sitting down, Right? I've had, we got five kids, so I've seen kids do these things. Actually, I've done that myself sometimes, too. <laughs> there he made himself a shelter, and he sat under it in the shade till he might see what would become of the city. 
Even though the city repented at his preaching, he was still angry and offended because other people didn't recognize how wonderful Jonah was. And so he went up on a tree and in the back of his mind, he thought, well, maybe God will still destroy them. And the Lord prepared a plant. I love this. And made it come over Jonah that he might have shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. Oh, baby. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. Look at my plant. It's so cool. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm. Everybody say worm. Oh boy. And it so damaged the plant that it withered. It was the mercy of God that God put that plant to grow up over Jonah's little he was probably bald. I bet you he was bald and he was thinking, you know, I'm hot. I don't want a sunburn up there. And oh, this plan is so refreshing and I can still watch Nineveh be destroyed. But then a little wormy comes along. Oh, look, it's Jonah. Ooh, Jonah has my favorite plant. That, that worm must have gotten pretty big overnight. <laughs> and it damaged the plant and it withered. Verse 8, and it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a feminine east wind and the sun beat on Jonah's head and he grew faint. Then he wished death for himself and said, it is better for me to die than to live. Woe's me. Friend, this is what we look like to God a lot of times. God not only wants you to do the right things for him, he wants you to live with his heart for people. He wants you to be sensitive to what he cares about. That means when you're on a Jeep and you see a mom with her kids and struggling to get change, you say, oh, no, 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 I'm going to help you pay for it today. Or if there's something that you see that you can do for the good of others, doesn't always have to come through money. It could come through time. It could come through sacrifice, serving in some way. My dad does not know the Lord. He's had a heart attack. He's had two strokes, and he's still alive. And I've preached the gospel to him since I was 20 years old. And he still hasn't repented and put his faith in Jesus but you know what? I don't go to God. I hope that you destroy him at some point because I'm angry at my dad. No, you know what we do? My wife and my five kids, we serve my dad when we stay with him. 
My dad has a rather large belly. I know he's not watching this, so it's okay. (laughs) He can't clip his toenails. I'm just telling you how to serve people sometimes. I had to do that. Clip my dad's toenails. That is gross. Sometimes when we were in the Philippines early on and we didn't have a whole lot of money and we were serving in some of these squatter areas, it was very hard to know how to help people. So we do whatever we can to serve. And then we started to see some people come to the Lord. Where's Renante? There he is. About 14 years ago, we were doing a little mini crusade in every barangay of Agdao. I think we were doing like 12 throughout the year. We would go to every barangay, preach the gospel. Crowds of people would gather. We go to his barangay, and it rains, and nobody comes except Renante. He's the only one we preached to that night, and he got saved. Now, he and his wife, Joanna, and their two beautiful kids, they're evangelists. They travel all over Mindanao preaching the gospel. I didn't have a whole lot of money to give Renante, but you know what we did? We gave him our lives. We gave time, and, and, and we didn't even know what God was going to do with them. And now... They came here to Jensen totally by faith. Just because they knew they were supposed to be here. And God sees that, bro. He sees it. He's going to bless that. Jonah wished for himself to die. Then God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? In other, ones, in other words, I'm the one who made the plant grow. Sometimes the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. You remember we used to sing that song probably 15, 20 years ago? What's the verse I'm looking for? You give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, bless it. It's so easy to say that. But then when the Lord gives and he takes away, that doesn't feel so good. You give and take away, praise God, hallelujah, Jesus. And all he does is remove a little plant out of your life and sends a little worm. And we freak out, Lord, don't take my plant away. Why is he trying to do that? He's not just interested in what you do for him. He's interested in who Christ is becoming formed in you. To take over your life. To not only be your savior, but be your Lord in everything that you say, do, and think. Let me finish up. But the Lord said, you had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made to grow. 
which it came up at night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh or General Santos, that great city in which more than 120,000 people who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock. Listen, your personal sacrifice is directly related to revival in this nation. Will you allow yourself to become a drink offering for a perishing world? Do you remember the wonders of the Lord? Friend, I remember being addicted to pornography for seven years. I was an absolute slave. I was suicidal. I would think about driving the car at night and just killing myself because I could not get free from the depression and the hopelessness and the sickness of sin in my life. But when Jesus came in my life, everything changed. It changed my marriage. It changed my attitude. It changed the way I spoke. It changed the way what I did with my time. It changed everything. I was dethroned and Jesus was enthroned. And then he said one day, will you go to the Philippines? And because I learned how to stop running from the Lord earlier, and I faced the reality of the responsibility that I needed to take for my life, it gave me a heart to say, Lord, by life or by death, we will go. It doesn't matter. It's not about us anymore. It's about you, Jesus. And he gave us such a love for the Filipino people. I remember early on as missionaries, we would leave the Philippines and we would go back to our one of our home churches in the States. And I remember being in a worship service one day and I turned around and most everybody there is Caucasian. But I turned around during worship and I saw everyone had, had dark skin and black hair. And it's like everywhere we went, the Lord was pointing to the Philippines. Love them. Serve them. Give them everything. Pour out your life like a drink offering. I, I am in no way comparing myself to Paul the Apostle or some of the other great men and women of God that we value and honor and respect. But I will say this, friend. I know it is a direct proportion to what we have allowed God to do in our heart to why we have seen the things that we have seen happen. We've seen transvestites, homosexuals come to Jesus. We've preached in garbage dumps where we saw people come to Jesus. I saw people get baptized in the Holy Ghost in, in a garbage dump. We've been on buses before, Mike and I, in northern Luzon, and we're on a trip, an eight-hour bus ride to Manila. And while we're on the bus with 40-plus people, we have a small team with us. We stand up on the bus and we ask the driver, can we preach on the bus? Sure. We start preaching. And I remember a man stands up and he says, sit down and be quiet. We're trying to rest. 
And he sat down, and I kept preaching. (laughs) But eventually, while I was preaching and some of our students, that man started to weep. He started to cry. He started to ask for forgiveness. And I said to our team, just get around him and pray for him. And he was crying out while they're praying for him. We're praying for people at the front, in the back of the bus. There were four, two to four people that got baptized in the Holy Spirit. On that same trip, we went on the ship, Super Ferry. We go on there, and there's a lot of people on the ship. And we have about 15, 20 students. So we go to one of the authorities on the ship, and we said, hey, it's Sunday, And people should be in church today, but they can't because they're on the boat. And we're pastors. It's the only time I called myself a pastor. (laughs) And I said, we would be very willing to hold a church service in uh, maybe your cafeteria. And and the, uh, the captain of the ship said, that's a great idea. Why don't you do that? He said, I'll get on the ship and I'll make an announcement. He made an announcement. We had a crowd of people. You know what I preached on that Sunday morning? Jonah. I preached on Jonah. And at the end, I give an altar call. There's probably 50, 60 people there. And this guy comes running forward crying. And he said, it's me, it's me. I said, what's going on, brother? He says, I'm Jonah. (laughs) He said, I'm going to devout for this job that I knew I wasn't supposed to take. And I left my family. But he says, I feel so convicted. Would you pray for me? And we pray for him and he hits the ground. Spirit of conviction comes upon him. David Wilkerson, when God called him to go back to New York City, he said, God has called me back to New York City to be a drink offering for his glory. My one great prayer is, oh God, let me give myself wholly to you. Let me be poured out in tears, in brokenness, in supplication, in intercession for the lost and hopeless. Accept all my time, all my energy, all my love, all my will as a living sacrifice. Let me see the emptiness and nothingness of all earthly things. Let me renounce all selfish ambition and self-love. Let the ministry that you have given me be poured out as wine to you, Lord. And let me stand one day before your judgment seat, emptied, completely poured out. This I know is my last opportunity to be a drink offering. A sweet-smelling aroma to him. Is the Spirit calling you too? Are you being weaned from this world? Do you feel his magnetic pull?
pull toward giving all to him. Then present your body wholly to him as a living sacrifice. Be poured out. It is our reasonable service to him. Thank you for listening to Revival Cry with Eric Miller. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review for this podcast on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To find out more or partner with our missions work around the world, please visit us at revivalcry.org. I look forward to being with you next week.